0: This is a very, very interesting podcast because one of our clients, an MBA student from a well-respected school in the Northeastern United States, um, wanted us to sponsor an event that was taking place, a very nice event actually, I'm not going to go into too much details to protect our identity, but she wanted us to sponsor an event, so we offered to buy a table which we bought. Uh, and as always firms consulting operates on a zero advertising policy so we made it an anonymous donation and we would we preferred that um um the um, name on the table went via my partner's name so that you know people wouldn't know who i was and we were having a discussion while we were talking about the sponsorship and you know she was telling me one of the challenges she has is you know, she just doesn't know how to connect with people i mean she went for an interview with um a consulting firm as well for the internship and she didn't do very well she ended up getting an offer from a few firms but not the firm she wanted she wanted to go to bcg the most but she didn't get a bcg offer and she was very disappointed because one of the reasons she felt she didn't get the offer is that the partners who interviewed her were in sectors that she knew nothing about and she just couldn't have a discussion with them and i was telling her that you know i know how you feel but the ability to have a discussion with someone is not Content-dependent. I know the way you you grew up in a culture whereby you get respect by knowing the content, and I must tell you right now that you should be confident just because you are confident. Uh, I I am I, I can understand why you would feel that confidence comes with content, but by that definition, people should not be confident if they talk about something they don't know. But we we see it all the time. People speak about things they know nothing about, and they have a lot of confidence. So I think one of the challenges. One of the, the, the challenges laid to me is that could I do this in any situation where I had no control over it? Now, could I actually have a discussion with someone and confidently discuss a topic I knew nothing about impress the person i was talking to was an expert in their field and make them come around to see me as someone they would want to work with so i thought there was an interesting challenge and i accepted it on one condition that we don't know who we're meeting we don't know what sector it is and you'll only tell us not even on the day we arrive but in that when you introduce us to the person is the only time we'll know who we're speaking to so i thought there was an interesting challenge and i accepted it and the challenge was you know because i'm against gambling and i don't want to get young People would write futures hooked onto gambling. The you know the bet was that if I win, she would never take a gamble. She would never take a bet again. So I thought that was a good bet. And if if I if I lost, then you know probably had to buy a, a beer or something at the uh, cash bar, or whatever it was. So we arrived at this. We, we we it was quite a long trip to get there. You know, long one hour but for me that's long to be in an airplane since I've been traveling so much so we 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 got over and uh, we were mingling in the cocktail event and you know she comes across uh, introduces herself and you know we prefer anonymity so we don't want people to know that she's working with us and so on and we don't want people to know what we do so she introduces me to a professor her professor who is an MIT PhD one of the world's leading experts in um, healthcare or health economics and you know she's there and she wants to see how i handle this and so no problem so i speak to the person so she introduces me and the introduction is very important because i did tell her don't tell the person what my background is you know he should never know that i was a consulting partner and in my specialization was strategy analysis and so on because remember something it's called the halo effect if someone knows your background they, in, they assume certain things about you and that's an unfair way to build a relationship because you want to you want to try to mimic as much of the challenge she faces so I told her, just introduce me as a writer, which is technically true. I do write a lot of books. So and I, so she introduced me. You know, This is my friend. He's a writer. He writes uh, books about um, life stories and so on. So that was the introduction. So there was no real um, reason for the professor to assume I knew anything about the subject or to even be impressed with my background. So we started talking and asked him, you know, what is, what is the area of specialization he's in? And we just started talking, and he said, um, um, you know, health economics is particularly looking analyzing the payer, payee model, basically how insurance works, you know, what is the best way to manage risk in the insurance system, and we continued talking, and I asked him a few questions, then, based on the number of questions I was asking him, he immediately responded and said, you know, what's your interest in this, I mean, are you a professional in this, and I said, nope, I just read about it, and it's obviously in the news with the Obama um, healthcare legislation going through, so I'd be interested to know what he's thinking about this, so we started talking. Now my strategy here is I know nothing about the subject. I know nothing about health economics, zero. I don't even know how to buy an insurance policy because it's so complicated. I mean they use terms that I can't even figure out. So, so we started talking, and my strategy is the same strategy I use with anyone where I don't understand a topic. I put them on the back foot by asking questions, clarifying questions. So I asked him, you know, what is he doing now so we had a brief discussion he said well basically i'm on sabbatical at the moment i'm not teaching this year or this group of mba students For the next six months as i'm doing research and i said okay what are you researching he said well basically i've submitted a grant to three institutes to build a new um, macroeconomic model of, i think he called it a bifactorial model something like that to measure um, to understand the risk associated what is the word he used? He used the word the the moral hazard. Associ- the moral hazard changes with the changes in the Obama administration, Obamacare, so called legislation. So I said, okay, that's very interesting. And then. Now you know we could have had this generally generic discussion which would have made, you know, made me not look stupid, but also it wouldn't have impressed him. And I'm trying to show this candidate how to have a discussion. So I eventually zoomed in and said, okay, you're building a model. What's the hypothesis? You know, what are you trying to prove or disprove? And you can see immediately his he has perked because I don't think many people have that kind of discussion with him. So he said, well, actually it's not an hypothesis. What we're trying to do is we're trying to test some of the um, proposed changes in the, in the legislation. We, basically our model is gonna say that if these things happen what would be the impact so we have no uh, hypothesis just yet but once we build a model and we do some analysis then we'll generate some hypothesis which will lead to uh, more kinds of uh, analysis and more kinds of research grants and so on said, so, okay that's interesting so you're building this model um, no hypothesis but what are the tenets of the legislation you're trying to test so he said okay these are the four things I'm trying to test I'm not going to go into the details here but basically listed them and said okay so why have you picked these four things and he talked me through it and said, "Okay, that's interesting." And I'm assuming you're working, you're doing, building this model with a number of PhDs. And he said, "Yes, that's correct." I said, "Okay, so the model is probably pretty substantive. How are you collecting data for the model?" And he said, "Well, that's one of the challenges we are facing. You know, we we really don't have access to the data." So I said, "Okay, you you are. I'm assuming then the model is going to be a theoretical model, right? Based on what y- you're building a model to mimic legislation, and then you're gonna. I'm guessing you're gonna put in data to see if the model." Can work with real data. He said, "Yes, that's exactly what we're doing." So I said, "Okay, that that makes sense." So now, in this entire five to seven-minute Q&A session, he did most of the talking. I asked all the questions, and what I was doing here in this in this approach is that I was getting him to give me things. So that I could use it to build a discussion on, and then I started going into. So he gave me enough information for me to say, okay, now I, I'm not a healthcare expert, so I can't have a discussion on healthcare here, right? But I can, I'm a strategy guy; I can discuss strategy, right? So I said, okay, if you're going to build this model, and the model is going to tell you certain outcomes from the legislation, right? Let's assume it tells you that the cost to consumers go up or down. I don't know. What are you going to do with that? I mean, what does the model say is good? what does the model say is bad how do you how do you use that I mean are you then going to take that to insurance companies to help them guide them with their new policy changes as a result of the regulation? Are you going to take that to the government and help them refine the legislation? What is the model going to be used for besides simply testing sensitivities in the legislation? And that also got his interest because it's exactly what they're doing. They're testing sensitivities in the legislation. That said, well, that's actually a very interesting point. What we want to do is we want to build a center of healthcare research Uh, at the school Um, and we saw the legislation as an opportunity to be the first MBA program or the first business school to have a proper econometric model that mirrors the impact of the the, um, impending legislation and what we want to do is to then to develop these scenarios for what could happen and run it through the model to put out these policy papers or papers that guide policies. Okay that's interesting so so we had this discussion based on me knowing nothing about the subject at the end of the day he was actually quite impressed and he said you know um you have a lot of thoughts on this you know, maybe we should have a follow-up discussion he said you know what most of the ideas i have on the subject comes from a famous colleague of mine from uh, bcg david matheson um you know He's a guy you need to speak to. He basically wrote the Bible on disease management in the 1970s, early 80s. You know, and I talked him to the history of disease management as I knew it from a consulting perspective. He said, wow, that's very interesting. I mean, that's exactly what we're trying to do. Now, let's just step back for a minute here. And I just want to recap what I did. I didn't know anything, didn't have any clue what we were going to discuss. When I met this guy, I didn't try to sound smart, which is what many people do. I didn't also try to sound vague, and you know, some people they pander to specialists and tell them how impressed they are with the work, how impressive it sounds. It just sounds ridiculous. A specialist knows their work is not impressive because they know the flaws in their work. And if you tell them how impressed they are with their work, then they think you probably don't know enough. So the first thing is you don't tell them how impressed you are. So the second thing is you don't comment until you know what you're commenting about. And my first seven, eight minutes, I really just asked him a lot of questions, but not ridiculous questions, you know, very insightful questions. You know, okay, if you're not, firstly, what is the If you're not pulling an hypothesis, then by default, you must be doing this. But if you're doing this, how are you managing this limitation? So your questions can't sound as if you're a 16-year-old. It's got to be insightful questions. Because the kind of questions you ask someone, even though you're telling them nothing, shows them you are thinking. And that's a very common tactic that consultants use. When we're dealing with a client and we want to impress a client, especially with a client we know nothing about, for example, if we going to a new sector, we cannot tell them an important mind-shattering or mind-blowing factoid of insight to get them to think, wow, these consultants are worth every dollar we, we, we're spending on them. No, we can't do that because we don't know the information. But we can use the information they're giving us to ask very deep probing information that shows them we're thinking very carefully about what they're saying. And that's a consulting skill. When you meet someone, everyone does this, right? This is what everyone does. They'll come to me and say, Michael, I want to ask, I'm going in for a meeting, I I need three questions to impress the person. I always think to myself, my God, what are you doing? You haven't even had the conversation yet. How do you know The questions you're going to ask the person is even linked to the conversation you're going to have. And they say, well, I don't know, but I need to have good questions. But imagine you have the most brilliant questions in the world, but they're not linked to the 45-minute conversation you've just had. How do you think you look? You look pretty ridiculous, right? So what I advise advise people to do is that when you want to meet someone you don't know anything about, and that's pretty much to everyone that was networking out there, right? Or even when you're in an interview, when you're meeting a senior partner, final round, second round, whatever round, and you want to impress them about something, you don't have to always have information. In fact, consultants don't have all the information. What we do have is the ability to listen to what they're saying and ask deep, probing questions to extract or to frame the discussion in such a narrow, in such a niche that we can have a a very, I think, fluid discussion about it. So when you wanna impress someone, it's not always so yes, you need to don't worry about not having the content. That's the first myth that you can shatter right now. Having content means nothing. In fact, you should know by now consulting firms don't like people who have a track record of excellence in a in a content area. They're actually looking for problem solvers. So deep content, not gonna help you. The second one is yes, you must ask questions, but don't go with your questions pre-prepared, right? that's going to just be a route to nowhere. What you should do is become comfortable with asking questions to understand the topic at hand. And let me tell you something, when you speak to specialists, if you spoke to me about strategy in my area, right, strategy, I'd be very happy to, to talk you through the mechanics of um, of how um, of how everything could, could look. I'd be very happy to give you a brief rundown in terms of what I'm working on, because I want you to understand it. And then, you could then develop questions based on what i told you but what you don't want to do is start talking about something that you know nothing about you know giving in content because you don't know it or secondly going in with these pre-prepared questions that um that have no fit to what has already been discussed and i see many people doing that i think that's a very bad strategy and you should as far as possible try to avoid it i think the other thing that's very important to understand with this professor i met is he never knew my background at all I mean, i don't know whether i look young or old but i think i don't look very young so you probably thought i mean writer this guy probably just knows the english language and maybe hopefully well at that so a lot of people a lot of candace i think try to impress you by by being smart don't be smart try to understand you can impress a person immensely by understanding them and let me tell you something in today's world business or whatever it is most people are misunderstood. Most people, their work is not understood. Their work is not appreciated. If you can take the time to understand what they're doing, and I mean truly understand what they're doing, and build on it and reflect on it and have a meaningful discussion, you will gain more credit with that person than someone who is just an expert and is just going to try to impress them. So this is a totally different strategy that I follow when I meet someone who I don't know anything about their work, I don't know anything about what they're doing, but obviously want to come across credibly. I try to understand them. Now you may think that sounds very you know meaningless. Try to understand them. That sounds like such a cliche. But most you have a discussion with people. How many people really understand you when you speak? I think that's really the the the, the cliche of relationships, right? People don't understand each other, and it's true. Business is the same thing. There are many executives who speak to. Advisors and some, but the advisors just don't understand them. So, my strategy to build credibility, to build trust, to build respect when I meet someone is to understand them, really understand what they're trying to do. That's my first objective. Really understand it at the root cause and then have a discussion about, okay, what are the implications about what they're trying to do? And at no point am I offering content suggestions yet because I'm not a content expert, but I'm then taking what they're giving me and, and drawing logical. I'm logically drawing, not conclusions, but I'm logically drawing out the so what. So, for example, if this this guy was telling me, okay, we're going to model the moral hazard, I said, okay, so if you're modeling the moral hazard, you're you know making some assumptions about who is going to be paying and who is the enforcer because that's the only way moral hazard works, right? There has to be penalties in place for moral hazard to disappear. So you're assuming either the moral hazard stays the same or the incentive to cheat has increased and he says actually that's you know that's really what we're modeling we're trying to model anyway so hopefully this podcast made a lot of sense because it's an important podcast i did win the bet i'm very happy i'm hoping that this the the client is listening to this podcast and is not taking any more bets um, in the future but i think the most important thing is when you meet someone you don't have content background don't worry about it you know having content background impresses no one really my my perception of people who have content background it means nothing you can be an expert in the field but if you can't eloquently explain to me what you're doing and have a discussion about it it means nothing that you're a so-called expert and as i pointed to people who decides you're an expert you publish 50 papers in what the you know sloan management review that doesn't make you an expert you're an expert if you can Understand the argument I'm making when you, if you're having a discussion with me and get me to understand the argument you're making. That makes you an expert, really. Nothing else makes you an expert. Right? So when you go into a discussion with someone, if you don't, if you're trying to impress them, first understand what they're trying to say. People get so obsessed with impressing a partner in an interview or in a partner in a discussion that they forget about trying to understand the partner. They come with these pre-prepared sound bites. Don't do that. Just when you get into a room with someone, you know, I remember Bill Clinton. I remember someone who met Bill Clinton said, "When you meet Bill Clinton, it seems like you are the only person he's speaking to." And that's what you need to do when you meet someone. I've been in a discussion with, you know, uh, people, and they'll they'll be looking at everyone else in the room. When you meet someone, you make eye contact and you make them feel like they are the most important person in that room. That's the first step of showing them you're trying to understand them because you put them at the center of your focus. Then you ask them questions not to be arrogant or to sound smart or to show them how intelligent you are, but you ask them questions to understand. And people can see if you're trying to understand. They can see it very quickly. And then once you understand them, you reflect back on what they, they, they've said. You interpret in your words and say, okay, I understand you're trying to do this. And that's interesting because it raises these kind of problems. And what you've done is you've in, in, in linguistic speak is you've normalized the conversation. You've brought yourself up to the level of being able to have a conversation with the person because you understand the subject matter and you understand enough about what they're trying to do. And that's why most people cannot impress a partner or a consultant. You're trying to impress them so much that you forget that you're speaking a different language. You first have to understand what the partner is telling you or the consultant. Bring yourself up to that level and once you've normalized things at the same level, then you can have a discussion. Practice it and tell me what you think. I'd be very happy to hear your comments on this. Thank you.